Well, good morning. How are you this morning? Or if I was it, I'll try again. How are you this morning? That wasn't sincere enough, wasn't it? It's like I didn't mean it. How are you this morning? Here we go. No, let me try again. How are you guys this morning? Yeah, you doing all right? Okay, if I was in the South, and we'll see this a little later in the message, I'd have to ask, so you'd know I wasn't just talking to you individually, I'd have to ask, no, not uh, how y'all doing, because in the South, that's still individual, right? I can say to one person in the South, how are y'all? So the South says plural you, like, how are all y'all? Right? How are y'all? I need a Texas accent or something. That doesn't work. If, um, if you've been here uh, the last few weeks, you know that we're in a series that we're calling Square One. And uh, what we mean by that is here at the beginning of the year, we're taking a, an introspective look at West Bowles, at this church, at this assembly, at this people of God, and we're asking ourselves questions like, you know, who are we and where are we going? Something I think uh, that we should do from time to time. And as you saw in praise and worship this morning, as we transition from our first topic, uh, the last couple of weeks we've been looking at um, our identity uh, and discovering our identity, especially our identity in Christ. West Bowles is a place that we hope and we pray is a, a place where people can come and they can discover their identity in Christ. And oh, what that means. You heard in the reading all the different things that that means. Part of our creative service team, I asked the team, I said, well, we spent a couple of weeks on identity in Christ. And I said, oh, we're not done And uh, they said, well, you know, you could preach on that for as long as you preached on the book of Acts. You could preach on that for years if you had to. And they reminded me that we'll keep coming back to these things. And uh, there's no way uh, in any one series uh, that we could plumb the depths of what it means to be identified in Christ. Uh, Among the things we talked about, at least uh, in summary, is Uh, Things like shame or guilt or fear, when we're in Christ, no longer control us. They've got no control over us. Now, sure, in small doses, a measure of shame, uh, a small measure of guilt, and even fear, uh, God can be in the midst of that to help convict us, uh, to motivate us, but they no longer control us or define who we are. And then Nathan last week reminded us that when we are in Christ, we're also not defined by any label that we have. And Nathan shared with us a couple of labels he had, right? Well, one of his labels was a speed bump, right? Not exactly an uplift. Well, I guess it is an uplifting uh, label. (laughs) But no, I mean, that... Uh, that was something that uh, was rough on Nathan, and he sort of, uh, uh, it brought back a bad memory of where he got that label. And, and then even when he came here to West Bowles, Ryan Long gave him the label gutter ball. You know, Ryan, you, you scarred him for life. <laughs> Keep teasing Ryan about that. That's okay. And uh, no, and that one didn't scar him for life. I tell Nathan, you know, you, you, you're, you're a speed bump and gutter ball. It kind of evens each other out. But uh, he's not buying it. Um, but those labels don't, um, 
really answer the question, whatever label you have or I have, um, they pale in comparison to um, who you are. They pale in comparison to being in Christ. And that works for positive labels too. Things that you're good at, uh, whatever that might be. Oh, um, he or she is athletic, which uh, certainly praiseworthy in our culture. Even that pales in comparison, lest anyone should boast. Um, It's all about being in Christ. And I hope this is a place, this needs to be a place where each of us can discover that we are made in God's image and when we come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are transformed to being in Christ. The next square one aspect or topic of who we are and where we're going that we'd like to oh, circle around this morning and then we'll dive in with a little more uh, detail in the next couple of weeks is uh, this idea of community. That, you know what, West Bowles, you all, this church is a place where people can find community. And boy, I read through a lot of long definitions of community like papers written on what a community is, you know, social, economical, conglomeration. It was like, eh. The one that I want to use for you, at least to simplify it a bit, and I'm sure you have a good one too, but the one I want to use this morning for community is um, West Bowles needs to be a place, so help us God, where we can find meaningful relationships. This is a place oh, that I'd urge you if you haven't found one yet, to find meaningful relationships with each other. Now, typically those two words are not words that everybody's like, yeah, you know, repeat after me or say community. (laughs) No, I really meant that. (laughs) Say community. Community. Say community. Relationship. Relationship. Oh. You know, there's another word that you might, or guys at least will chant this, and it's interesting because this is a, a type of community. What if I said uh, um, a, a team, right? Uh, well, go team. That doesn't work. How about go Broncos? Oh, you're still disappointed. <laughs> As I'm sitting there this week, I'm thinking, ah, I feel such a passion and a need for us, for me, as well, to find meaningful relationships here. And we live in a culture that seeks to push us the other way. And I'll end there this morning when I talk a little bit more about that. But so much pushes and stresses, especially out here in the West, you know, the rugged individualism. And uh, the heroes that we see depicted in Hollywood, for example, man, they did it alone, and boy, I would like to be like that. And, and we value those that uh, go out and do it alone. And 
As far as community and relationship is concerned, well, you know, if you want to kind of do that thing, fine. That's kind of for the weak or the, or, or the lonely or, or the helpless. And, oh, community and relationship, oh, there's just so much pain and, and, and wrestle there. Yeah, there's good things that come from it, but it's just far easier to just sort of do things on my own. It's less messy if I just decide what's best for me. So I've been praying all week. It's like, wow, can I incite an, an excitement this morning and in the next few weeks, uh, whoever's speaking, on how valuable it is and what an opportunity you have here or whatever church you normally go to if you're visiting, but somewhere, I hope you find a place with Christian brothers and sisters where you develop and find meaningful relationships. It's so important. And even if you don't know it, I can say with complete confidence, you need it. We need it. We need deep, meaningful, open, honest, transparent relationships with others in the family of God. I got one amen, and I want to say, amen. You, my brothers and sisters, we need this so badly, especially today. And one reason I can be so confident that we need this, one reason is because God made us that way. You're made that way. Whether you know the Lord or not, he made everybody, and you and I are made to need Meaningful relationships. He made us this way. Most of you know, I'm sure, the story of the creation of the world and the creation of Adam, right? You remember it? God creates Adam, and then he sees that Adam was alone. And so God created a remarkable partner, a remarkable helper for Adam. And she was so remarkable that Adam remarked. Adam saw her, and he said, I'm sure, whoa, man! And so God created woman. You've heard the one before, you haven't heard it, and it's bad. Either way, it's bad. I'm sure it went down something like that. Most of us know that story. But have you ever considered this? Did you ever consider that it was while Adam was still perfect, he was lonely. His need for someone was not a result of sin or the fall. God created Adam and said, that's good. He was perfect, no sin yet. And part of then of perfection in God's eyes is that we need someone. We need someone. It's not a weakness. It's part of what it means to be perfect, that need for someone. God made us that way on purpose. So it must be best. And it makes sense. No wonder God made us that way because we're made in God's image. And we know that part of God's image, at least, in fact, a deep foundational part of who God is, is that God is Trinity. One God, three persons, however that works. God lives in perfect unity. 
perfect community, perfect relationship with himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is himself communal. Perfect community is who he is. And so when he creates in his image out of how he is, as image bearers of God, people of God, of course we're going to be community as well, made in his image. When we come together, In unity, we reflect, we witness to ourselves and to the world who God is. God is perfect community. You know, uh, an Israel trip is coming up, and one place I love to take people in Israel is to a place called Chorazin. And in Chorazin, they had something uh, that they found there, and it's something that's unique to the area where Jesus chose as his hometown during his adult ministry. Fascinating. And it was only in Israel for a short time. It was largely a Greek and Roman idea. But right at the same time, coincidentally, that Jesus was living um, on earth as a man in Galilee, they lived in what was called insula. Say insula. One insula, two insulae in Greek. And Jesus himself most likely lived in an insula, probably the one belonging to uh, Peter and Peter's wife and uh, Peter's family in Capernaum. But in insula, you can see an artist's rendition recreating insula. There was this big open courtyard, and around the courtyard there were different buildings. Now, not each person had a building, That's how we would do things, because we want to go and be alone in our own building and shut the door. In Insula, there'd be uh, a sleeping chamber. There'd be a place to prepare food. There'd be a place for work to be done. There'd be uh, other uh, community places. And the whole idea being, uh, the saying in Hebrew is, in Insula, there are no secrets. Because... All those open doors faced the inner courtyard, and as the insula expanded and you needed a a bigger sleeping chamber, for example, they would simply build on another room uh, to accommodate for more people as the the wife would leave her insula and come and live with the husband's insula. And it was a great, big community way to live. And God's people uh, recognized, and Jesus himself recognized, the importance of of even that type of shared life community. So many of Jesus' illustrations even for what the kingdom of heaven is like came out of insula. I can point to that little drawing and say, you know what, that is a drawing of what the kingdom of heaven is like. Whenever Jesus talks, gives us those stories about a bride and a groom, that comes right out of insula life. This idea of shared life and shared community. Because we were made that way on purpose. And then, this gets even more exciting on this side of Acts, the book of Acts. The community of God and our community with each other, our community with God and our community with each other It's all wrapped up and tied together through something theologians call the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because we know the Holy Spirit dwells within each individual follower of Jesus. He moves in, into you. And we know this, most of us do, but 
far fewer of us seem to uh, catch uh, something else that's taught in the Bible right alongside it. Do you know that the Bible talks about, describes the indwelling of the Holy Spirit not only as living with each individual, but as living within us collectively? Paul asked the church in Corinth this question. Many of you I know know this verse. It's quite a famous verse. Don't you know, Paul says, that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? I had always looked at that verse as talking to me individually, specifically. I'd always assumed that it meant me. I am God's temple. And God lives in me. And one reason I assume that, well, it's a cultural tendency, but one reason we can miss what's really going on in this verse, if we read it in English only, is that that word you in English can be singular and it can be plural. It's spelled the same way. So if I was talking to an individual person and I'd say, I was, I, I'm talking to you, it's Y-O-U. And since I'm talking to uh, uh, several hundred people, I can say I'm talking to you, meaning plural, and it's still Y-O-U, isn't it? But here's what's going on in this verse. In the original Greek, Greek spells singular you differently from plural you, so we know whether the writer is addressing one or many. And so take a look at the next slide of where the plural yous are. Don't you know that you, plural, don't you know that all y'all, all y'all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in all y'all. Well, now that's a little different, isn't it? We're all the temple of God. Peter picks up on this, right? Peter, whose name is Rock, I guess when he has to write the book, what he says is, did you know that you are all rocks too? Living stones, each of us is one stone being fashioned into what? A temple. What, can you imagine the difference between one stone and the finished work of the temple? Made up of what? Many? And that's where the Bible says the Spirit dwells in the temple of all of us when we get together. Now, please hear me. Here's the part where I'm trying to avoid your emails this week. The Holy Spirit also dwells within every believer individually. I believe that many scriptures describe that individual indwelling as well. But in other places, in other places, Paul speaks of the Spirit in us, dwelling in us collectively. That's there too. And in our individualistic culture sometimes, we miss that balance, I think. The most recent NIV, I've been using that most recent edition uh, more, and this is one of many reasons. It helps us here to see what the Greek says. Don't you know that you yourselves, 
not you yourself, are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst. I'm trying to communicate in English better that plural you. And let me see, isn't it Jesus that has this curious thing to say in Matthew? He's talking about when Christian brothers and sisters have a disagreement, how they should try to get together to resolve it. And he says this, where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. And I say that's a curious verse because we know from other scriptures that Jesus, of course, is with each one of us as well. Alone in our rooms, he's with you. But like Paul, Jesus, too, seems to be emphasizing here that God's presence is also somehow related to people in relationship with each other. Each of us individually indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but until we're together with another indwelt brother or sister in Christ, then that second or communal indwelling moment, it doesn't occur. It doesn't occur. And I don't know about you, but I want, I want in my life all the presence of God that I can get. So let's get together, shall we? A lot. Because in Jesus' words, where two or three gather in his name like we did this morning, he's here. Did you know? He's here. Right now. He's in you individually. And he came here with you individually. But then when you came together with other brothers and sisters, oh, yes, he's also here with us collectively in a way that he can only be with us collectively. So that's a big reason for me why we need a place where people can find community because when we're in Christian community relating to one another in love, God's there. Jesus shows up, he says. The Holy Spirit is also there in that corporate, plural, all-y'all community. Another reason that we need community is uh, because community is good for us. It's best for us. Makes sense it would be if that's what we're made for. Ecclesiastes tells us um, that in community, um, when we lie down together, we keep each other warm. Well, isn't that cozy? We won't be doing that right now. Um, yeah, and of course, in context, that's a, that's a metaphor even for life. gets cold in the desert at night in Israel. And you'd have to have someone with you along to keep yourselves warm, to keep yourselves alive. It's life or death that we have each other. Ecclesiastes goes on to say that um, we've got a better chance of defending ourselves than if we try and go it alone. The author of Hebrews reminds us that we need community to spur one another on toward love and good deeds and to encourage one another. And so community is good for us, best for us in so many ways. We need community in, uh, in order to grow in Christ, to become more like him, this is where we're shaped. Um, this is where sanctification takes place in community. It's a place to share and to serve. 
You know, it's really impossible to be like Jesus without others. Have you ever asked yourself that? Have you ever thought of it that way? Because what deeply defines who Jesus is? He is the one who gave himself completely to and completely for others. That's who he is. We can't do that without each other, my friends. And then um, on a different uh, tangent, I came across a host of statistics that reveal that humanity is healthy for us um, in other ways. Check this out. One study shows if you join and participate in just one group or community this year, if you do that this year, join one, statistically, it cuts your odds of dying next year in half. It's kind of an odd statistic, isn't it? It's a little bit morbid. I was thinking, it's a new, a new ad campaign for West Bowles. <laughs> Join our church this year, and you won't die next year. Let's run with that one. Here's a stat. For all of us who don't like to exercise and don't like to eat healthy food, remarkable statistic, check it out. One study reveals that those with strong social connections but poor health habits, like eating or exercising, if they have strong social connections, they're just as healthy as those with good health habits but weak social connections. It's fascinating, isn't it? And so you choose. You want to be healthy? You work out like a dog every day in the gym or join a Sunday school class. <laughs> or, and I'm sure they're playing with the word healthy there, or as we know, do both and you'll be doubly healthy. Amen? Okay. Another benefit of community, and, and, and this one um, is as big as any other. Um, and uh, I'll end with this one. Um, I know it's one that uh, comes closest to home for me. Uh, how about you? One reason that we need Christian community, one reason that I need Christian community is it reminds me that I am not alone. And isn't that something that, that I am not alone part re, relates all the way back to Adam who felt alone and needed community? Some things don't change. It's one of my favorite parts of We Are West Bowls. I see uh, you all on that screen and get to know you a little bit on the screen and now as I'm getting around, get to know you a little bit more in uh, the life and ministry of the church. I love the part. I love the part in the We Are West Bowls, and John does such a great job of this in his team when he's talking to you, where you share stuff that you wrestle with. Every time I think, wow, you know, I'm not alone in the tough stuff of my life and my relationships and my fight against the own sin uh, in me. In my struggle to be uh, transparent and not to let shame or guilt uh, control me. 
So thank you, all of you who do the West Bowls uh, video series. Gosh, it's been about three years now, and John will be coming to a door near you sometime soon. And I hope you say yes and participate in that aspect of community in telling us your story because, oh, it reminds people. It's such a needed reminder in community that we are not alone. And we need that reminder so deeply, my friends, because the devil is so stinking predictable. You know, don't you? I hope you know that there is a devil and that there are demons. And the Bible tells us that their sole purpose in existence is to go around like a roaring lion to tear you apart. That's what he's about. He's so predictable. His favorite strategy, his baseline strategy, and you see it in the Garden of Eden, is to divide and conquer. So he knows, if he can get us off alone, away from the good influence of a righteous community who have love and empathy and forgiveness and grace and support and encouragement and defense, if he can get us off alone away from that, He's got a chance, a real chance in tearing us apart and having us be convinced that our own counsel and our own thinking, oh gosh, I'm out here alone, well, I'm going to do what's best for me, and suddenly we do very stupid things. That's when we give in to temptation, when we're off alone, away from that connection of community and, and family even. So he goes to Eve, not Adam and Eve, he goes to Eve who's made to help. And he goes to the helper and the partner. And Adam's there, we're told, and I'm thinking the devil is, you know what, I'm going to hope and pray. Well, he doesn't pray. I'm going to hope, imagine the devil thinking that, Adam doesn't say a word. Divide and conquer. And Adam doesn't, and, he's, and the devil's got her. Throughout the Bible, when people sin, how many people do you think is on the roof with David as he looks over and he sees Bathsheba in her bathtub? We're only told of one. And how about Jesus? Where does the devil pounce on him? At least we get the longest story of it. When? When he's off alone. And when he's alone, away from the others in Gethsemane. He has his struggle. And certainly when he's alone up there on the cross, you want to talk about divide and conquer. Jesus was divided from everything and everyone. They all ran. Nobody spoke up for him. And even from his Father in heaven, who turned his face away. And the devil... I got him now. His strategy is divide and conquer. Be ready for it. Be prepared for it. And you want to frustrate the devil, my brothers and sisters? You want to frustrate him? 
stick together. Stick together in Christian community, loving one another. Stick together. And though the wind blows, <laughs> stick together, and you're not going to get picked off by that roaring and tearing lion. We so need community. And I so want this place to be a place, as it has for years, but can we do it even more, where this is a place where people can come and find community, find meaningful relationships. One last thing, an assignment for you that I urge you to take seriously. Please do it. You know we talk about them all the time. It's the purple and the blue sheets. On the purple sheets, we put our ministries. On the blue sheet, we put some missions that we've done. And it's an arbitrary distinction because every ministry is missional and every mission is ministry. We're just called to love God and love others. <laughs> Here's your assignment. Would you find these? You can find them online. You can find hard copies in the foyer. Would you spend just some time this week, uh, even if it's five minutes, I hope you have longer than that, but would you just take a look at them? And if you're not involved in one of these communities, join one and you won't die next year. <laughs> would you pray over them? And if you're not, would you think about calling up the contact person and saying, hey, can you use some help? Is there something that, that, that I could do? Try one. Would you try one? I urge you to do it. So important. Try one and just open the door to all of those benefits and more of finding community. Even if two of you do it. Will some of you do it this week? Nobody will? It's like we're conditioned in church. We don't say anything. Will anybody take a look at them again? Yeah? Okay. Praise God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, oy, there's so much in life that uh, tries to separate us. Our culture even around us tends to exalt uh, the individual, tends to push to the fore always what the Bible calls, well, just do what's right in your own eyes. That's true. If it's true for you, it's true. Father, I'd ask that you would... Um, Protect us from that dangerous way of thinking by surrounding us with other brothers and sisters in community. Because we know that where two or three gather in your name, your son told us he's there. Father, as we look over the next sec uh, several weeks of what it means to be in community, to be in meaningful relationship with one another in this crazy thing called church, I'd ask, Father, that you'd give us some receptive hearts and ears and that we would act on what you have for us uh, from your word and from the experience in the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you. I bless you for everyone here. I ask um, that you would go with them. Keep your promise to go with them. I know you will. Give them a strong sense 
of your presence and your direction and your reality as they look at or consider um, becoming more involved in this community or in some community with brothers and sisters. And that you would prompt them to do that, not only for their benefit, but also for the benefit of the world, to witness to the world who you are, the God who is perfect community. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Would you stand, please, uh, for the benediction? You ever have those verses you try to memorize and they just don't stick? Well, I got one. (laughs) The benediction this morning is from John 17. Did you know that before Jesus went to the cross, he prayed for you? You specifically. He prayed for us here today 2,000 years ago. He prayed for us. And this is what he prayed. I pray, Father, that all of them may be one. Just as you are in me and I am in you, Father, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, loved them, even as you loved me. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Amen. Have a great day, West Bulls. God bless you all.